everybody and welcome along to episode 5 of Arsehole Animals with Alice. I'm your host, Alice Vasalo, and today we're venturing out into the British countryside to talk about an animal that the Brits have been calling arseholes for centuries. Today, we're busting myths about arseholery by discussing red foxes. I'll give you a quick rundown of this species and then we'll bring on our guest. Foxes are a dog-like carnivore that can be found in every continent other than Antarctica. The red fox, the largest species of fox, is found specifically in the Northern Hemisphere. Although, the English did introduce them to Australia in the 1800s. The foxes then thrived and are now considered an incredibly harmful invasive species. Well done guys, truly. The red fox is an omnivorous species, preying mostly on small rodents but may also eat things like rabbits, chickens, lambs, and even your leftover KFC from the night before. If you're from the UK and live in a large city, you may have seen urban foxes slinking around at dusk and dawn. You may have also had the shit scared out of you hearing a fox scream outside your window in the unholy hours of the morning. These screams are actually foxes trying to attract a mate and happen in the cold winter months during their breeding season. That's probably not very reassuring, but at least now you know it's probably just a fox trying to get laid rather than a woman dying outside your window. Foxes are undeniably a divisive species. Society has shaped our perceptions of foxes to be crafty but plucky scallywags that you're rooting to succeed, as is apparent by the portrayals of them in pop culture. But there are lots of people in the UK that consider them a pest species for digging up their plants, killing their chickens, or making people shit their pants from the aforementioned screaming. The reality is that foxes are just proficient predators and have incredibly honed senses, which makes them wonderfully adept at both hunting and scavenging. Acute hearing, an excellent sense of smell, and the ability to use the Earth's magnetic field as a targeting system when tracking prey means that foxes are exceptional hunters. Their resourcefulness, speed, and opportunistic nature makes them expert scavengers. So, say what you want about the asshole fox that raided your bin last night, but you can't deny that they're good at what they do. So now that you're all clued up about red foxes, let's bring on our guest. And now it's time for me to introduce my amazing guest. He's a naturalist, television presenter, author, and owner of two adorable miniature poodles called Sid and Nancy, the brilliant and inspiring Chris Packham is here. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. A pleasure, an absolute pleasure. And thank you for crediting Sid and Nancy, my favourite organisms on planet Earth. They are adorable. And I, I think it's so important to bring up the, the special uh, non-human persons in our lives. Adorable well, they're the centre of my universe, to be honest with you. I, I revolve around them oh, um, and they that. know it too. They're poodles. They're slightly precocious, definitely neurotic and um, have more energy than is generated at the centre of the sun on every single day, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. So you're saying that we should talk about them today rather than the animal of the uh, of the you know if we were talking about gray wolves progenitor then i'd feel a little bit more secure but we, we must <laughs> recognize of course that all of our dogs are a domesticated species essentially human made yeah. um, and as much as we love them and and, and i see a lot of actual relic behavior in my poodles that you might expect to see in grey wolves. I always okay. say, you know, you can take the poodle out of the wolf, but you can't take the wolf out of the poodle. 
But Chris, I mean, as, as much as I'd absolutely love to talk dogs, it is honestly so great to have you on today to talk about, I think, an animal that's quite close to your heart, the amazing red fox. And obviously we see your Fox of the Day campaign on, on social media. I, I love seeing that pop up on my Instagram, just an adorable little face every day. It's uh, absolutely wonderful. So um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of foxes. I mean, they're, they're beautiful, they're majestic, but they they can be uh, they can be jerks at times, I think, which is why we're here to talk about them today, I feel, right? Well, I mean, they're my favourite mammal, aside from poodles, on planet Earth. <laughs> and I've had the great you know, good fortune to meet quite a lot of, you know, animals that I, when I was a kid, I aspired to, to you know, to see because they were in my childhood encyclopedias, but I never dared dream that I would. And I, my partner, Charlotte, uh, runs a, a sanctuary on the Isle of Wight for big cats. Yeah. People always describe, you know, tigers, maybe even Siberian tiger, to be more specific, as nature's greatest masterpiece. Um, and they are undeniably a, a, a remarkable and, and beautiful creature. There's no, mm. there's no doubt about that. But I live in the south of England. I don't live in Siberia or any, yeah. other, any of the other tiger races ranges. So yeah. for me, the creature that I interact with and have always interacted with most closely is, the, you know, as a wild animal, is the red fox. And 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 they hold a torch to a Siberian tiger. And given a choice as a pin-up, you know, a T-shirt or a poster <laughs> on my wall, I'm going to tell you that fox would trump tiger. Because I know them. I, I, I've shared my life with them. I've nurtured sick foxes. I've looked after fox cubs. Yeah. You know, I, I monitor and feed a, a population of, of, of foxes as well. They... For me, they're mammal number one. Number one. I love that. I think um, foxes have this, this uh, je ne sais quoi, you know, this, there's something that's so mysterious and elusive and just mystical about them, though, you know. Well, Goes- yeah. What's interesting is both species are intricately in t- tied to our culture. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the tigers more to uh, cultures overseas, but human yes. culture, there's no, there's no question. And, and, you know, and for different reasons. Now the fox is renowned for its cunning and it, it, it yeah. for being wise and clever, the tiger for its fortitude and its beauty. Mm-hmm. And it's, still is revered obviously in many cultures across the world we see um tigers appearing in the uk in in advertising if we want a symbol of strength of oh, purity yeah. of wilderness um you know it's a trade off between wolf and tiger in contemporary you know western society That's the, it. so they both hold great store in the in the relationships that we've had with them that the fox however i'm just going to say just chuck a biological fact in okay you know, the red fox is probably the most successful, you know, what we call meso predator, mid-range predator in the world. Yeah. Because, you know, wherever we are, it's prospered. Uh, yes. We've spread it around the world, um, unfortunately, in some mm. places when we shouldn't have done, but it's enormously successful. Yeah. Now, the tiger, on the other hand, very unfortunately, due to us, is at this point not so successful. And that's because it's persecuted, it's poached, it, it's, you know, um, its habitat has been destroyed. Obviously, its habitat requirements and, and you know, ecological resource requirements are significantly higher than red fox. Yes, yeah. For the animal. Um, but you can't deny that when it comes to, you know, championing, a, a, you know, an animal success, the red fox is up there with, you know, domestic pigeons, cockroach. I was going to say rats as well. Like rats. I rats, mean, of course, yeah. yeah. All of the pigeons, which some of us, not me, but some use the P word to describe them. It's not a word that I'd like to add to my vocabulary too frequently, but the P word, you know, it begins with P, it's got an ES in it and it ends with T. And, and that's because basically they outwit us. Yeah. You know, where we are, they come and succeed. <laughs> and I think in some ways we resent that. And we, <laughs> we ought to celebrate it. I feel like, do you think most people in the UK 
think them of them as the, as the P word, as a P-E-S-T word? No, I don't. I think that, yeah. you know, certainly when it comes to fox hunting, we know that we have a more than 80%, more than yes. 80% in some polls um you know people on board to put a final end to the hideous practice of fox hunting um i think that many people who live in cities now where foxes are currently prospering and expanding they see they're the apart from gray squirrels and non-native species which again has a mixed reputation Mm. another conversation um that's the wildlife that they see. That's their Serengeti on their driveway. That's so true. Yeah. And, you know, as much as it's, um, you know, maybe they're a little bit annoyed that, that the foxes have gone through their trash and, you know, eaten their leftover like chicken or whatever it is, or chicken bones. But, um, yeah, you're so right. When I lived in London, if I saw a red fox, it was like, oh, I feel like, a, you know, brief transportation out into the countryside. It was uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Even um, an engagement with the wild, isn't yeah. it? The wild has come into your space and you can engage with it. And, it, and it, you know, and frankly, if they have been through your bones, it's because you haven't put them in a foxproof bin. Get yeah. on with it. <laughs> Chris is calling me out here. He's like, Alice, this is why you need to put your chicken bones in a bin. So, woof. Uh, well, Chris, actually, the, the first question I have before we get on to properly go into foxes today is a question that I ask all of my guests on here, which is what animal would you say that you think of when you hear the word arsehole? You know, to be quite honest with you, when you, when you have contact with animals, as you do, you know, you're in a working <laughs> environment, you're mixing very closely with animals and you have personal relationships with individual animals. Their personalities and their characters shine through. They don't all just come out of a mould. Every single mm-hmm. creature is, they are just like us humans. You know, they yeah. they have an individual personality. So um, some can be easy to get on with, some less so. Some can be difficult and and some troublesome. Do you know, the, the arsehole animal, I suppose, is the one which for me, is inaccessible it's the one that i really want to get to meet but is giving me an enormous amount of run around trying to get to it i mean i i like animals i'm very forgiving i don't care if they poo we <laughs> um you know discharge anything onto me i don't care what whether they do that on my floor i you know unlike my partner charlotte who has the, the sanctuary tigers haven't pooed on my floor yes um, but i forgive them if they do and i i you know if i've had foxes and and, and and we used to have foxes and they would do despicable things in my bed um, because yeah. they considered it to be their den. Yeah. Um, so they would fill it full of rotting food, which oh, they would, lovely. in our dustbin, you know, unprotected. <laughs> and, and they would bring it into my bedroom and my bed because that was their storage area. That's where they would cache their food. So, Got you it. know, I would literally get home from college at some times and go into the bedroom and think, hmm, what's that? And it was Sunday's chicken bones tucked under oh, my, no. yeah. you know, under my bed or somewhere in the corner of the room, and that's again yeah. them displaying their natural behaviour. So I, rather than arsehole, I'd find it a little bit amusing. So okay, arsehole animals. It's the inaccessible ones. It's the ones you can't get to, but you really would love to. So my favourite bird in the world is a male sparrowhawk. Is it an arsehole animal most of the time? Interesting. Because it, yeah, well, it flashes through my garden at about 150 ah. relative miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I get a glimpse of it. All I really wanted to do is, is to land on my decking so that I can just like look and think, wow, you beauty. Yeah. But it's so ungiving. I know that I'll go to my grave never had having had the, the view of a wild male sparrowhawk that I really want. You never know. There's still time, Chris. Like, <laughs> it's, it's so funny that to hear you say male sparrowhawk, though, specifically. Most of the time when I talk to people on this podcast, they, they say birds of some sort as, a, as an asshole animal. I feel really? like, yeah. And it's um whether it's things like uh, ostrich and emu, 
whether it's macaws, they demonstrate behavior that feels um, spiteful or feels malicious or feels, you know, how would how we describe an arsehole as a human? Listen, the, the, the headline of the, the Daily Star, who have a newspaper whose headlines I do largely admire for their wit and, and, and basically intellect, published a headline the other day about gulls. Okay. Um, where it described them, I think, as feathered scum or aerial scum or something. And I, I mean, I was really distressed. I've yet to write to the Daily Star, but I might, because what's interesting is that in their banner headline, the bit that says Daily Star, the logo, if you like, at the top of the newspaper, it says underneath it, proud to love animals. And then the headline was they were blaming, obviously, principally herring gulls, I presume. Yeah, sure. The stealing chips and fish and whatever people don't eat properly at the beach. And 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 again, look, the point is those birds are merely doing what they do in the wild. They steal food from other birds. They will yeah, steal yeah. food from humans if they have no fear of humans and humans offer them the opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny that um, a lot of these species that we talk about being jerks or anything like that are just exhibiting behavior that allows them to survive properly. So it's, it's interesting to see your perspective with your take on an arsehole animal versus everybody else's, because this is, this is absolutely wonderful to hear you can't reach the animal that that you want to see and that's what sort of makes him that ah oh, that asshole male sparrow, well, male sparrow hawk. I mean male sparrow hawk as well and there are other creatures that I would like to meet and yeah. I mean pangolin was the ultimate mammalian asshole for such a long time I had to wait until I was in my 50s to see a pangolin now, I know yeah. I, I had a great good fortune to travel and yeah. you know if you'd have said to me day one when I first went to Africa uh, they obviously occur in Asia as well but yes um, you know when if you'd have said to me which animal do you really 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 want to see um would it have been lion no would it have been leopard no rhino no you know wild dog mm, quite close but the ultimate would have been pangolin yeah so um for those who are listening that are like what the hell has chris just said what what is a pangolin? Well, I tell you, let me describe them they're, they're <laughs> basically a, a mammalian woodlouse i mean yeah Gales like a reptile. Yeah. I mean, they're one of those animals that if you'd have given a an imaginative child, you know, a, a, a drawing pad, some pencils and felt tips, said, come up with something from outer space, or basically stick a load of animals in a, a homogenizer and come up with a composite, then yeah. you know, they would have won te- you know first prize in the in the drawing competition. So you've got an ant-eating mammal which mm-hmm. stands on its hind two legs and waddles along like a tri- well, actually does locomote quite well at yeah. like a tyrannosaur. Yeah, um, yeah. has tiny eyes and is entirely covered with very, very tough keratinaceous scales and has the capacity, like a woodlouse or at least pill bugs, to roll into a ball to protect itself. Yeah, Some of yeah. them are quite large. They go to, a, you know, 1.2 metres. So mm. they're not a small animal. The tragic aspect of them is that in many parts of Africa, at a, at a low level, their scales are regarded as um, important for what they call muti, local yeah. uh, medicine. But the you know the far eastern traditional, well, or not so traditional mes- medicine market craves pangolin, and the species that we have are one of, amongst the most endangered mammal species in the world because they're being harvested from all over their range for the nefarious needs of a nonsensical, utterly in- implausible, and 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 rubbish you know, medicine market in the Far East. So that's it. I read um, them. trafficked animal, basically. I was about to say, I literally about to say about 10 years ago when I was working at London Zoo, they were the most, um, the statistics there were they were the most trafficked animal in the world. I was wondering if that actually was still the case. I actually don't know. I mean, I've heard that. We hear of terrible shipments of these animals. I've driven through places like Ghana myself and seen them, you know, being held up on the side of the road for sale. I mean, it's a tragedy. 
So anyway, I remember seeing my first pangolin and if ever I'd come close as an adult to literally just bursting um, something, anything or everything, yeah. that was the moment, basically. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd be pretty much the same if I saw a, a pangolin in the wild. There's, um, I'm, uh, My big thing is toucans. I'm, I'm obsessed and have worked with them for many years uh, out in the wild in Costa Rica as well. And there's certain species of toucans. If I saw them in, in the wild in South America, my head would explode. Oh. So, um, yeah, that must have that must have been amazing. Shall we circle back around your favourite mammal then? Should we talk about foxes? I want you to tell me, what is your most memorable experience with a fox? What what really solidified that for you? Well, I remember seeing foxes for the first time when I was a child. Um, I, I grew up on the edge of Southampton in the suburban area. And uh, we had a small patch of what the council called Wasteland close by where foxes had a den. And, mm. and I would go out uh, at dusk. And I, I I found a group of fox cubs that had they had a den an impenetrable uh, actually uh, den in some brambles, um, but the cubs would come out onto this little footpath. That, and I remember in the grey light of the evening watching those cubs come out and and play as yeah. sort of lavender silhouettes just jumping and playing. And I remember sort of hearing them yip and yap. Yeah, And then I found the courage to go closer and closer to them until I was hiding quite close to them, anticipating them emerging. And and eventually that summer, one of them came quite close to me and I had a, uh, the cubs and I, uh, and I had a view of it and the, the vixen would come quite close as well. I mean, this was a suburban area, so they were relatively used to people. I, I, it was that it was the maybe the first time that I'd been in, in, in the presence of an animal where everything metabolic stopped working. I was so in awe and so mm. fearful of scaring it that, that my heart stopped beating. Oh. I swear every mitochondria in my cells shut down. Yeah. Um, I, I just froze held, and held my breath as this wonderful little fox came, came towards me, got to within you know, a metre or so. And I saw that, you know, the, the dying light of the city glistening in its eyes. And then it darted back into the brambles. And 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 I fell in love, I suppose. That's what yeah, it was. That you was know, it. Yeah, I was hooked on foxes. And then after that, the RSPCA at that point didn't have a place to take wild animals where I lived in Southampton. Mm. Um, so they would rely on individuals um, yeah. to try and rehabilitate. I don't know, whatever they got handed in, really. So uh, they would deposit animals on my parents' doorstep. <laughs> what just in a, in a box boxes. really well you know ba- badly badly car hit tawny owls or, or, I mean all sorts of things and and of course I would do everything within my power and my parents would help um to try and nurse them back to health and we did manage to nurse a series of foxes back to health some cubs some adults yeah and um because over our back fence was that patch of wasteland you know so yeah. we we had the scope to do that and so I had foxes in my bedroom and I had foxes. my mother unfortunately had foxes in her front room <laughs> shitting on a carpet and um <laughs> I mean, they they always would say that my parents didn't like the smell of foxes. I immediately fell in love with the smell of foxes. Oh, yeah. Know? It's musky, and, and, but, you know, you get used yeah. to it. And and I totally get it. I love it, you know, but yeah. but, but they didn't. Um, so they would say they've got to stay outside. They must stay outside. And I was never a sleeper. Still not a sleeper. I don't sleep very much. So I, I would sneak down the stairs, go out to the uh, enclosures, which, I mean, we didn't have a garden in the end. We just had a 
Well, the neighbours called it a menagerie. I would call it like a, some sort of rescue centre, but whatever. And and I would get the fox or badger cub, stuff it up my jumper, and then sneak it back up the stairs of our three up, three down. Did, and you, get, would... did you get bitten? Did you get scratched? Did you just... Oh, God, of course. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you're just shoving well, it well, underneath. Well, that's part of our job, isn't it? I've got all sorts of scars. I mean, your listeners won't be able to see it, but look at that beauty. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I can see it. A lion cub, you know. Um, Bloody hell. But, I mean, foxes have got, I mean, relative to the animals, some of the animals that you work with and I work with, they've got quite small teeth. We don't worry about that. I mean, it's amazing as a kid that you're just like, you're just shoving it underneath, being like, ow, 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 ow running up the stairs, just <laughs> sneaking it up. The badgers were made a lot more mess than the foxes. I have bet. They're far yeah. more destructive. And um, and also, of course, being nocturnal. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're more awake. Yeah, I've got. How did you get away? Did you get away with that? Did your parents like ever like... Oh, they would come in and they'd be all hell had let loose in my I had a very small bedroom and you know <laughs> and at one point my father came in and I was trying to pretend to be asleep and yeah. I'd had uh, we had a badger at the time a badger cub and it got under the bed and it had been relatively inactive for a few minutes it destroyed my subutio it's a sort of kids game that was very popular in the 60s and 70s and it completely destroyed that and and my father came in and and everything was quiet and he was just he came in he sort of looked in the room he knew something was up and then he turned around he was just closing the door and the it dumped you in badger you know (laughs) since we're on arseholes the arsehole badger club (laughs) wanted to completely kick off (laughs) it's just the way isn't it that's uh that's so funny you just like phew we've almost got away with it uh Mm-hmm. That's amazing. If you can narrow it down to one specific thing that you love about foxes, what is, what is your favourite thing about foxes? Wow, I, I know. say it's, it's a composite thing, but it would be face because yeah. their face is made up of their ears, eyes, nose, mouth. I love the exquisite shape of their face. I love their big ears, their big dish ears that twist mm-hmm. and turn. Um, I love their black button nose and their little white muzzle and their whiskers. And they're beautiful golden eyes. And and I love the sort of pointed face of it. I like a, a canid with a pointed face. Which, yeah. You know, I know poodles have got fluffy, floppy ears. They don't stand up. So, so I could redesign the poodle. I'd do something about that. But, <laughs> um, but, but that black button nose is probably the thing. And I remember, again, those little cubs and, you know, bottle feeding them and then them sleeping with me and pressing that little wet nose into my cheek. And oh. it's, you know, just like the... You know, Nancy was doing this afternoon, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, that sort of wet, personal, very intimate contact with an animal. Bear in mind their nose is like their principal organ. It's yeah. way, way more important than any of their other, even their ears and eyes, you know. so They trusted um, you a lot. They they really trusted you. Yeah, yeah. well, they had no choice. They were vulnerable, <laughs> I guess, you know. And, and our mission was to get them back into the wild. And yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, we had one that had a very distinct white paw. So most foxes have black socks, as you mm-hmm. know. But this mm-hmm. one had one. Um, its right-facing front paw was mm-hmm. white. And uh, we released that at the end of the, the summer, sort of soft release. We feeding it in, in yeah. and then outside of its enclosure, put food out every night. We kept coming back. And it kept coming back for about 18 months. So Wow. Yeah. Know, no, uh, this is We're talking the 70s here. That was, you know, yeah, pretty good, I hope. That's amazing. I mean, um, it's funny hearing your experiences with um, with rehabilitation with foxes. It's actually um, how I started my career was was volunteering at. Um, do you know Wildlife Aid in Leatherhead? It's a little rehab centre, and uh, I started my my journey there, however many years ago. And um, I remember having one of the first things I was doing was preparing dishes of, of little cat food or dog food for foxes. 
I remember the vets were so strict with us. You know, they, they sat us down, all the volunteers and said, you know, you are not to mollycoddle those foxes. You know, they're too friendly. I will put them down, you know, th- like really just like, do not hug those foxes. They need to be ready to go back out into the wild. And you'd go in with your little like, your little water and can to top up their water and their little food. And these tiny little fox cubs would be coming up and they'd be kind of like dogs, just like so excited to see somebody. And they'd be coming up just like seeing what you're doing. And uh, the advice from the vet at the time was just to make a loud noise at them because they have to sort of associate that humans are bad, you know. So we would have to be like hissing at the little foxes, you know, not doing anything untoward, but just trying to startle them a little bit. So you've got to be sometimes you've got to be sort of in inverted commas cruel to be kind. Indeed, Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that's certainly a thing that I preach when it comes to people feeding foxes. Mm. But, you know, I've been to people's houses where they feed them in the front room. They have the patio doors open. They come in and they're feeding them a sausage whilst they're watching EastEnders or Coronation mm. Street. That's not healthy. Yeah. Um, you know, because they're going to go next door to a house where they think all humans are the same. Yeah. And their neighbours are not going to be fox lovers and it's going to get them into trouble. And, yeah. you know, I feed my foxes out in the woods I know they can smell that I've been there, but you know, but they don't associate it with the the house. They are yeah. they're you know they're way away. I don't feed them at any longer where I'm living now. I feed them somewhere else. But well, I, I had fed them until I, I moved recently, and um, you know, and and it's about understanding the need to you know to enjoy and to relish the relationship that you can have with a wild animal. But it, it needs to be on its terms, not our terms. That's it. Mm. Yeah, it's about oh, them. It's not about us. That's it. And it's, you know, I, I feel like we are so guilty of that as humans as wanting to domesticate, wanting to conquer the beasts in a sense. And even in a, in a non-aggressive way, sometimes by having them in our front rooms, you know, it's still sort of taming the untamable in a sense. You're right. It's, it's doing it out in, in it's, it's... get them into trouble, isn't it? They're exactly. Someone else and want a sausage. And yeah, that's, it's, it's exactly right. Maybe they're going to think, oh, I'll stroke it. They put their finger out. They see the finger as a sausage. The yeah. fox it and then all of a sudden you've got a tabloid newspaper headline and, and it's not doing them any favors that's it that's exactly right so i think um we have this sort of hubris i think sometimes where we think we're more powerful than the animals but we're definitely not um, chris so what we're going to do i think this is a good place to stop what we're going to do when we come back i'm going to ask you a couple of questions i'm going to ask you to rate how much of an arsehole foxes can be to humans to other foxes and to other species are you ready indeed Okay, brilliant. We'll be right back. We are back with the incredible Chris Packham, who is going to be rating these animals on a scale of one to five of how much of an asshole they are. Chris, on a scale of one to five, what do you think? How much of an asshole would you say are foxes to humans? Well, it's a tough one. Zero. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're asking the man who loves foxes more than <laughs> yeah. as much as anyone else who really, really loves foxes. Look. I blame humans for most of the fox's problems. Yeah. You know, if, if, right, you can't put your waste in a bin which is fox-proof and you moan about it all over your driveway, that's oh, yeah. your problem, not yeah. the fox. 
it's doing its business as as a scavenging, you know, part time scavenger, basically. If right, you've got chickens and you can't listen. I had chickens, right, and 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 I I was feeding the foxes like fifteen meters away from my chickens for about fifteen years. We lost two chickens: one when the gardener strimmed through the electric fencing, and two when I let the battery go flat. You know, the fact is, these animals can, if you provide proper husbandry to your chickens or anything else you keep, yeah. uh, you know, you can keep them safe from foxes. That's if foxes it. get them, it's your fault, not the foxes. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point, because I feel like that's a complaint that I think people have about, well, I mean, I certainly, I worked on a farm for a couple of years, and that was the complaint that we had whenever foxes managed to get into our chicken coops, and, you know, that they would kill all of the chickens, not just one. And I feel like that's sort of what people yeah, but know. That's what they, hold on a minute. When you go to the supermarket, yeah, yeah. you go and get one can of beans and come home. Or do you think, oh, no, there's a shelf full. I'll, I'll fill up my trolley. Look, the, the, the fox is just basically responding to an abundant resource. And the interesting Indeed. thing about red foxes, one of the things that makes them so successful is that they can store food. So they will cache food. So given the opportunity, mm. if they get into a chicken run, yes, they will kill all the chickens. Quite yeah. right. Like you kill all the beans by putting them in your trolley. Right. Then they will bury all of those. That's like you putting them in your cupboard and then they will go back to them. That's like you having one tin one day, one tin the next. Yeah. The interesting thing is, I know what you're going to say, mm, but my tins, the beans stay intact and don't get smelly. One thing about that's made the red fox so successful is that it has the capacity to eat putrefying food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Resistant to salmonella, botulism, and so on and so forth. So given the opportunity, having killed all of your chickens, which you've improperly kept because you <laughs> failed to keep the fox out, yeah, it will yeah. come back and eat, come back and eat, come back and eat. And that's what you do in your kitchen. How dare people yeah. you know, claim the fox is a psychopath because it does what you do in a supermarket. So that's that's a really good point, actually, because that's that I think that sort of foxes kill for fun is a very common misconception. Oh, yeah. No animals kill for fun apart from human beings. Yeah, apart from humans. That's exactly it. So okay, we're here to dispel that myth then flat out. Foxes do not kill for fun. They are just acting how we would act in a supermarket. Yeah. So we're saying so it was anyone who thinks the foxes are five out of five arsehole. You know, when it comes to their chickens, their rubbish or anything else, maybe you ought to turn around and look at themselves and ask themselves, are oh, they a five out of five arse? <laughs> you know, big brained mammal that can't keep a fox out of a bin. Get a yeah, knife. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Can't afford some electric fencing to go around your chickens. Yeah, well, that's listen, exactly it. Was, when I when I bought the electric fencing for my chickens and I wanted them to be as free range as, as possible, very mm -hmm. obviously. And also, one other thing, can I just say, I put them away every night. Yes. You know, yes I just yes. went out and put them into an enclosure, which was like fox proof. Since most of Fox's you know, predatory behavior where I live was nocturnal, not daytime. Yes. Understand the animal and yeah. adapt to live alongside it. Show some tolerance and, and you know, of that animal. Show some patience and understanding. So show some sympathy. Yeah, exactly right. Times are tough. I mean, it's uh, less and less wild prey out there for the foxes nowadays. You know, a whole load of chickens that does seem pretty good. So we're giving um, we're giving foxes a zero on a scale of one to five. That's okay. You know what? No animal so far that I've done on this podcast has ever gotten a zero. So well done. Uh, that's, uh... that's probably a controversial zero, but I've, I've made I've stated my case. <laughs> You've made the points. Okay, on a scale of one to five, uh, how much of an answer would you say foxes are to each other? Oh, quite high. I mean, mm. look. You know, they live in these curious female-dominated societies. So what you get is you get a female 
and her relatives. So that's her sisters, aunts, so on and so forth. And then they live in a, a range and they they basically don't hang out together as like a pack, but they are tolerant of one and the other's presence. Um, and then you get the males which roam in and out of these ranges. So obviously during the breeding season, which is over the Christmas New Year period. Yep. And then you get the dominant female normally giving birth and the others helping out. Or sometimes you might get two females giving birth, depending on you know what, what goes on. So most of the aggressive behavior that I've seen in foxes is female versus female, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. And if it's at a feeding station, then obviously, you know, once again, if you're feeding them, you've generated a potential arena for conflict. You yeah. put them in a ring and you put the resource in there, which you know, unlike, you know, cage fighting or boxing isn't fame, it's food. Yeah. And and, and they will come for it and occasionally they, they will kick off. So animals are naturally competitive. They're That's all it. trying to survive. They're trying to get their genes into the, ne- the next population. Um, they can be intrinsically selfish. And even the subordinate females in a group of female foxes will, if they could and get away with it, then very obviously they would breed. That's the nature of life. It wants to reproduce itself. So you know, just nodding to pure biology, how much of an arsehole can a fox be to another arsehole out of five? Well, it's about <laughs> it's about the perpetuation of your genes. You know, and that True. means everything. That means five. Yeah, I mean, um, I've read as well, and maybe you can confirm this if this is true or not, that they do practice infanticide if they'll kill other fox cubs sometimes if resources are, you know, are low. Is that something that you've experienced in your time with foxes? I haven't seen that. But of course, infanticide is a very important part of of the natural world. And we don't just see it in mammals, we see it in birds. You know, these these animals are, you know, have evolved to make decisions which benefit them. So we see coots killing their young. If there isn't enough food to feed all of their young, they will kill the weakest of their young to ensure that the strongest of their young survive. Now, to us, that sounds very brutal. um, But in the biological schemes of things, it's actually brilliant. Yeah. And we what we often see in other animals that practice infanticide, most famously, I suppose, lions is, you know, is that obviously they if a pride takeover takes place males come in take over a pride of females they don't want to be rearing other male <laughs> genes what on earth for uh, despite the fact that's very common in the animal world you know 50 percent of badgers actually are are not sired by the dominant male in in that social group 50 percent of starlings are not sired by the you know the monogamous the apparent monogamous male that's tending the female at the nest so that sort of we have a word for it, um, which is probably, I don't know how appropriate it is for your podcast, but it's called sneaky. <laughs> and, and these animals sneak <laughs> in and copulate with the, with the, yeah. with the females. And of course, the females in, in the main are interested in diversifying their genetic output. Why wouldn't they be? They want yeah. to take as many chances and get as much richness into the potential as possible. So it's actually quite common. In, in terms of foxes, no, I've never witnessed it, but... Okay. It's one of those things. It of course, biologically, it makes perfect sense. So we're um, we're rating them a five out of five for our oh, I, I would rate I, I would rate any animal in that context a five out of five for the yeah. capacity to be an arsehole when it comes to getting your genes in the next population. Yeah, I, I feel like altruism in the animal kingdom is not really a thing, right? No one's really doing things well, out of the kindness of their heart. Sometimes and social behaviour is very sure. If unless it you know it benefits them. So uh, we're saying five for that. Okay, for the last question then, on a scale of one to five, how much would you rate them as being an arsehole to other species around them? Other species around them? Mm. I mean, they're supreme predators. Yeah. So 
listen, if you're a vole and you've got a fox after you, then the fox is the ultimate arsehole because they're so brilliantly adapted to getting you. Yeah. Um, their hearing is significantly brilliant. Um, you know, we know that they use those big dish like ears for hunting. They can pounce on voles, which are hidden beneath, you know, centimeters of snow with pinpoint mm. accuracy. They're lovely vole uh, jump, as we know, the vole pounce, where they leap yes. up against the ground yeah, on some yeah. glass is enormously effective. So from a vole's perspective, it, I'd say <laughs> is another five. Yeah, 10,000 out of five. Other than that, it's a barn owl, isn't it? So you're up against the barn owl arsehole or the fox arsehole <laughs> if you're a vole, you? or the kestrel arsehole. Yeah, why not? We'll just throw them all in there. But what about um, larger animals? Like, how do they get on with badgers? Well, subservient. Badgers, top dog, isn't it? Yeah, um, sure. Badgers are better armed, stronger, heavier. More sassy, yeah. Powerful jaws. Very powerful funk claws for digging, but equally in you know offense as well as you know digging their sets. So when I've ever witnessed the the pecking order, the interesting thing is in suburban gardens, cat comes top, mm-hmm. probably the best armed of all, really. They're certainly the quickest. I mean, the reaction time of a cat is, is you know faster than snakes, isn't it? So yeah. they're really quick and well armed with their claws. Um, then you get badger, and then foxes at the bottom of the pecking order. I'm afraid. Interesting. They just stay away from badgers. Well, I mean, they'll try, you know, they'll hover around, you know. I I used to go to a garden in the 1980s when I was filming it where a man was feeding 11 badgers. We called them Newcastle United because of their black and white strip. Yeah. We would put out enormous quantities of frosties, um, the breakfast cereal every night. I don't advocate that as a badger food. No, of course. Yeah. (laughs) This was the 80s and I was merely a guest. And the badgers would come and then the foxes would turn up and they would like hover around until the badgers had finished. You know, they're like vultures sort of. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like no animal wants to get injured, you know. Yes, I've got no, 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 not going to take the risk. But that's interesting. Yeah, I wondered if there was any sort of, yeah, any behaviours that foxes exhibited towards animals that might be on par with them rather than, you know, their prey. But um, Well, eagles, I mean, we've yeah. seen some interesting in, interesting behaviour with foxes taking on eagles um, at carrion feeds in Scotland. Interesting. I was speaking to uh, uh, David Anderson the other day, who's uh, an eagle researcher in Scotland, and he puts um, cameras out to monitor the eagles, so they use red deer carcasses to bring the, the animals in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Badgers, again, dominant, obviously. Badgers, even in daylight, actually, obviously dominant. And yeah. eagles go nowhere near a badger. But we have seen some quite interesting sort of bouts between foxes and golden eagles where things appear to be more even. And the fox will go back at the eagle, the eagle will go back at the fox and, and vice versa. So, but I mean, that's the scale of it. That's what you're looking at. But then again, look, foxes are not terribly weighty. They, you know, they're five to what? Seven, maybe max eight kilos. Sure. Yeah animals really i mean again people i think get a misconception of scale when they see them in their headlights and they weigh less than my poodles basically yeah 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 they were relatively small lightly built as to say meso predator so and again and going back to what we said earlier they've all got their individual characteristics and personalities you get bold foxes you get timid foxes you get careful foxes you get careless foxes you know you get a big bold one it might take on a golden eagle but i it's not going to take on a badger. So what do you think? What do you, what do you say out of five? For foxes being assholes to other animals? Yeah. What do you think? Pretty low, actually. I'm Two? Just, yeah. Well, unless you're the prey, obviously, when they're going to you know, rate you very high. If you're not talking about prey animals, then I'd say, no, they don't. Because of their frailty, because of their relatively solitary nature, they don't intend to interact with other animals very much, other than the prey animals. So, no, I'm going to score them really low. I'm going to say 0.2. 0.2? 
I was like, I have to do some math at the end of this, Chris. I need to add everything up to get a, a score out of 15. Well, and you've just... Make it 0.5 and make it slightly easier for your maths. But I mean, Amazing. They, they don't harm deer in their range. They don't get involved with badgers. They don't get involved with otters, any of our other native species. Yeah. You know, so, no, so, I mean, I think they're fairly compatible but bear in mind can i just say one thing obviously we're living in a in a much modified environment in the uk we don't have lynx we don't have wolf that's true yeah yeah that's exactly right much competition i guess we don't have any records of, of how they would have behaved with each other however many years ago well, yeah. we know that they lynx would have killed fox there's no question yeah, about that's and wolf it. would have killed fox you know there's no question yeah interesting so we've got a we've got a zero out of five for humans we've got a five out of five for each other we've got a, a controversial but understandable 0.5 for the uh, for the other species. So I'll just uh, just quickly do the math on that. Okay, 5.5 out of 15. So I feel like we're dispelling a lot of fox myths today, which I think is amazing because this is the exact sort of thing that I wanted to do to come on and say, hey, look, sometimes people think foxes can be jerks. Here's what they're actually doing and why. 5.5 out of 15. You think that's a fair score? I think it's yeah, it's pretty fair. I mean, I feel I might score them a little high for their need to, you know, reproduce. But then every animal would have scored a five for me for that, so I don't feel too bad about it. But you're right, foxes are a divisive species, yeah. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, I think some of that uh, is carried by the legacy of what of tradition. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't like tradition very much unless it has contemporary relevance. So yeah. I don't yeah. mind carrying on doing something if it works today. But if it's out of date um, and out of place, then I think it's out of time and we ought to bury it and forget about it. But I think a lot of the tradition that I see, certainly in rural communities, is that foxes are painted as a, you know, a nefarious character from the outset because of the fact that they are regarded in fairy tales and lore, lore. Yeah. I hate the L-O-R-E word very really? much. Really? That's interesting. Well, no, I like science. I like S-C-I-E-N-C. Sure. You know, I'm interested in some law. That's unmeasured, subjective rubbish a lot of the time. So I'm more interested in science. And and I think this is the 23rd century. We're you know, 21st century, even 2023. <laughs> God, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> I was about to say, I was like, what? Yeah, like, Looking at my watch. Um, but, but, you know, the fact is that we're in the midst of a biodiversity crisis. Our rural fox population is declining. Our urban fox population is some, in some places increasing or holding its own. We ought to be looking after every last organism, not believing some nonsense that our grand, great-grandfathers perpetuated because they failed to look after their chickens properly. No, and that's so, right. A lot of people just need to show more tolerance and understanding and read a bit more science than listen to law and, and, and welcome these animals into their community. We should be trying to share our communities with as many other species as possible to both enrich our lives and enrich and stabilise those ecological communities. And that doesn't matter whether we're living in the country or in the suburbia or in the heart of a city either. And it's funny, though, that going back to like law and mythology and stories, how much those things weave their way into our society even nowadays. If an animal has a reputation going back hundreds, thousands of years, I mean, you, you think about foxes in Greek mythology still being cunning, still being you know crafty. You think about foxes in Asian folklore, still crafty, still cunning. And these things sort of just weave their way into our... Yeah, well, I mean, people don't want wolves back in the UK because they think they don't eat small red children in red capes and grandmothers. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's yeah. a indictment as to our intelligence. And also from the conservationist point of view, we failed to win the hearts and minds over the, you know, vile you know, outdated ideas about these 
animals which are entirely inappropriate you know i'm not going to start stating a case to introduce wolves back in the uk that's incredibly complex but one animal that i would if you wanted to pick a fight would be lynx um because that's been done very successful in many other parts of uh, of europe and could be done in the uk wolves is a slightly more contentious and difficult case but nevertheless I'm talking about the attitudes here, not the actual conservation and 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 uh, uh, practicalities, but the attitudes. Um, and the attitudes are wrong. Mm. Wake up! This is the yeah. 21st century. You know, it's not Little Red Riding Hood any longer. For yeah. goodness' sake! That's it. Americans make it work. They've got wolves in all sorts of parts of the states, and I, I feel that there's that fear, isn't there? That previously things that uh, haven't been able to kill us in the UK or or hurt our uh, our livestock. People have that fear. If, oh, if we introduce wolves. Well, we're cosy, aren't we? We've lived with yeah. them for, forever. You know, I mean, there, there are wolves in the Netherlands. There are wolves in mm. Belgium now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. There are links in both of those countries that have spread from introductions in Switzerland, um, Germany and Slovakia. You know, these animals are can be conta- uh, compatible in a 21st century landscape uh, and a very crowded human landscape as well. And we can live alongside them if we just learn how to do so. But there seems to be a grave reluctance to to take that step in the UK and it's very different social economic situation in the UK in in terms of land ownership and so on and so forth but listen we're making inroads there we're still working hard to win the hearts and minds of people to allow these significantly important conservation initiatives to take place but whenever people raise these issues of like links slash wolf contentious more ambitious maybe not realistic reintroductions I always say hold on a minute before we can't even live with foxes yeah. You know, how are we going to live with these animals if we can't convince people to live with foxes? I mean, they're yeah. tiny, e- easy to manage without any harm whatsoever. And, and, and we're in this tediously boring and, and embarrassing position yeah. of, of not being able to get on with a, a small miso predator. We've got some very successful initiatives with, um, you know, the bison and beaver. But the second that you bring a, a predator, a carnivore into that mix, it's like something changes, you know, the, the fear well, like, takes over. Well, you get, the tabloid press doesn't help, does it? That's because true. story runs, you know, yeah. they, they can't just, you know, stories of people walking, shopping in the precinct and they're going to get dragged down by a pack of wolves and disemboweled in front of, I don't know, Primark. Yes. And, you know, and which is a fabulous vision, actually. I've just had that. Um, but the... Um, so I would trust the pack of wolves to run Parliament more than I would trust the Tories. So... Uh, oh, <laughs> don't go there. We'll uh, maybe leave pack that Pack of something, side. isn't it? And it isn't wolves. Um, <laughs> but yes, we, we digress. Yes, yeah, so we've got a 5.5 out of 15, which is amazing. We're dispelling some myths about foxes today, which is great. It's exactly what I wanted to do today. Chris, after we come back from the break, we're going to do what I think is my favourite part of the, of the podcast, which is the true or false ground. I'm going to tell you some, well, I'm going to ask you some questions that are fox adjacent about okay. pop culture, anything like that. There's some fox facts in there that you um, that you might know the answers to, but there are some also some tricksy questions that I've curated. I'm keen and eager. Oh yeah, I'm I'm glad. I'm uh, I'm, I'm excited. Sniffing, I'm sniffing and scenting at the post. <laughs> Amazing, Chris. We'll be right back. This episode of Arsehole Animals with Alice is brought to you by Team Building with Bite. Team Building with Bite are a small organisation of superbly handy individuals that bring corporations closer to the wild by organising unique team builds at the zoo. Their goal is to improve animal welfare by adding bespoke enhancements to enclosures all over the world. And the demand for their amazing work takes them across the UK and beyond to build and create life-changing items and furniture for a range of species. But they need your help. 
In 2022, Team Building with Byte were able to improve 12 different enclosures through their Patreon, adding as much as they could with whatever resources they could find. They want to make 2023 an even better year with your support by donating to their Patreon. For just £10 a month, you can vote which enclosures get a makeover by their team and give zoo animals the incredible gift of improving their habitat. You'll even get a VIP tour to see where your support goes and exclusive videos of the animals' reactions so you can go to sleep knowing that you've made a positive change in the world. If you're interested in supporting this amazing cause, their Patreon can be found at patreon.com slash teambuildingwithbite. That's patreon.com slash teambuildingwithbite, B-I-T-E. Also, if you're interested in an exceptional and unforgettable team building experience for your team, you can visit their website at teambuildingwithbite.com to learn more about this fantastic organisation and see all of their glowing reviews. I don't advertise anything on this podcast that I don't fully endorse, and Team Building with Bite are doing incredible things for the welfare of zoo animals across the world. So whether you're a zookeeper or animal enthusiast, head over to their Patreon today to see how you could help. Don't forget, if you'd like me to give a shout-out to your product or organisation, you can always email me at arseholeanimalswithalice at hotmail.com. It's as simple as that. Now, back to the show. Brilliant. We are back now with the fabulous Chris Packham, and it's now time for the true or false round, where I'll be asking Chris some fox-adjacent questions that'll test his general knowledge. Are you ready, Chris? I'm poised. Wonderful. Okay, question number one. Fox, the broadcasting company, has renewed The Simpsons until 2030. Is that true or false? Well, I hope so, because The Simpsons were such a significant part of the early part of this century. My stepdaughter and I watched them, you know, episode by episode. We laughed hysterically. It was one of those brilliant pieces of entertainment which worked on so many levels. So she was a child at the time, so she thought certain aspects of it were funny. I was an adult and laughing at very different parts of that. It was very cleverly written to work, like the best fairy tales. They work for the adults reading them and for the children listening to them. And the the people who write it as well are are like Harvard grads, you know, they're they're smart. I'm not surprised. It's, it, it was always very, very clever. I haven't seen it for a long time now, other than Megan and I occasionally getting out a DVD Ooh. and rerunning one of our favourite episodes. What's your um, favourite episode, actually? I, I'm curious oh, about this. Don't, how, how can we go there? I mean, there's so many that are totally absurd. But what I liked with The Simpsons is that they dealt with contemporary issues head on. They dealt with issues like immigration and yep. racism and and all sorts of things and even homophobia they dealt with it head on and they did it in a very clever non-confrontational way That's it. Um, they, they're poking fun at things in a very smart way i think this yeah, is very smart you know, very clever. so listen i don't know the answer but i sincerely <laughs> hope that it's true so i'm hoping to say true it's false so oh, they've actually they've, re- they've renewed it until 2027 Okay. still progress yeah exactly and so i mean the simpsons at the, uh, at the minute has 36 seasons which is incredible and they've got over uh 1800 episodes wow. and yeah i'm so i was born 1990 and I've, I've never been alive for a time where uh, the simpsons hasn't been on television so the minute that leaves fox is going to be a, a crazy day i think so well, we've i'm got... kind of happy to have got that one wrong because at least they're still running it and producing more episodes until 2027 at least and then hopefully beyond Although um, I haven't seen any of the recent episodes, you know, there's a golden era for me with The Simpsons and that's seasons like three to, to eight or nine. 
that are just locked in my mind as the, the golden classic era of Simpsons, I think. Okay, next question. Question number two. A red fox can hear a mouse squeak from further away than the length of a blue whale. Is that true or false? Well, blue whales, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the question, isn't it? It's like, how long is a blue whale? Yeah. Okay, so blue whales can be about 100 feet, or so, in old, old, you know, imperial stuff. I don't know what that means, really, as a centimetre, metre, millimetre man. Well, I mean, actually, that's that's exactly how I would measure them. And can I just say, ladies and gentlemen, he's pretty much exactly right. Yeah, that's incredible that you know that. Okay, so uh, I would say that that's probably, yes, is the case. Um, I would say their hearing is extremely acute. Um, and they're particularly, obviously, their hearing is focused on that particular range. You know, mm. these aren't random hearing. They're not listening to the Jesus and Mary chant and the clash, um, <laughs> as I might be. Well, some of my young foxes were listening to that. I really damaged them irreparably <laughs> with hunting voles. So no, I'd no, say no. That, that is yes. I, I, I imagine they would be attuned to that. That is true. Yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they can hear from over 100 feet away. The the blue whale can get up to technically 98 feet, but we're who, who's counting? So yeah, you're absolutely right. They can hear a mouse squeak from further away than the length of a blue whale, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay, question number three. Bill Harris is the voice of Robin Hood in the cartoon Disney film. Is that true or false? I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Sorry, I had to be a real sort of, um like, I don't know what, but not a terribly fan of big Disney films. And didn't No, sorry, I didn't like, enjoy them as a child. Mm. And then everything I could to avoid taking Megan to see them at the cinema as it was. That's, and That's uh, the most, maybe the most controversial thing you've said tonight. Probably is. I yeah. probably dumped myself here, but who, I mean, sorry, I, the Disneyfication is a term that I still use and it, it isn't one that's, um, I don't the- use it to applaud something. So yeah. maybe I have an outdated idea of that. I mean, Disney produced films, which aren't just, um, you know, excuse me, I was about to say tacky cartoons. <laughs> You're going to get so many messages. Okay. <laughs> All the but Disney fans. A wide range of films, and I enjoy some of their other output. But when it comes to those sorts of things, I, I'm sorry. I, I, that's a question that um, you should ask Megan's mum, and she'll probably get the answer right. Really? So, Phil Harris isn't the voice of Robin Hood. Uh, if you've seen. Have you seen it's Phil Harris. Oh, sorry, I hate to be. I, I'm just going to lower my credibility even further by no. saying, who's Phil Harris? Who the hell is Phil Harris? So, um, if you've seen. I mean, have you seen any other Disney film? Have you seen The Jungle Book? Well, as a child, but I forgot yeah. it pretty rapidly. So you know the voice of Baloo? The bear? Yeah. So um, he's played by Phil Harris. Phil Harris oh. in in um, the Disney film, in the Robin Hood Disney film, is uh, Little John, you know, also a bear. Right. Um, and he's also, if you watch the Aristocats, he's Thomas O'Malley. Um, he's the voice. He's a very, I feel like he's very stop. synonymous with... Alice, um, stop. Please stop. You don't like the Aristocats? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. What about what about Bambi? Bambi has a, an important message. I feel like, or the Fox and the Hound. No, I don't know about the Fox and the Hound. What do you think about the Fox and the Hound? Never saw it. Not can't remember it. Yeah, fair enough. My parents okay. didn't take me to those sorts of films. Sorry. Fair enough. Totally fair. These I are as... not as a kid. I, 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 I do you know what? I, I really didn't like anthropomorphism as a child. I entertain it as a. a, a now because I think it can play a really important tool and a, a really important way of engaging people with uh, animals yeah so I, I but as a child I was complete reverse I was a real anthropomorphic snob I didn't like any of those sorts of things where animals spoke basically so what were your go-to like cartoons that you watched as a kid did you watch cartoons as a kid you too busy outdoors I liked um Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet they yeah. weren't cartoons they were puppets. Um, puppets. yeah 
creepy puppets, I think, in, in hindsight. Creepy? They weren't creepy. They were brilliant. That's maybe my con- most controversial thing. Uh, I think kind of creepy. I'm not going to lie. But... Oh, God, they were so good. Okay, number question number four. Crab-eating foxes have the most teeth out of all the fox species. Is that true? Or yeah, it makes sense because they're trying to crush those crustaceans on the shoreline. More teeth. Would they need more teeth or a different dental arrangement? Less canines because they're not necessarily hanging on, you know, less canine length and whatever fortitude. They'd be near, more into their sort of premolars. We used to call them carnassials. We call them premolars now and they're yeah, molars sure. for crunching those things up. Mm-hmm. Do they need more of them or would mm-hmm. they have the same number? That depends on the sort of diversification of the taxonomy of the small canid group vulpes. Yeah. Um, what do you think? This is some, I can see well, you I, I trying to say, sound it out. I can't imagine that they've got more teeth. I, I imagine they might have different shaped, uh, you know, different shaped teeth of the same number. Okay. So, so you do you think it's false that the the crab eating foxes have the most teeth? Yeah, but I'm balanced on this one. I could go either way. So I'm going to say it's false, but it could easily be that they have evolved more teeth for that you know specific purpose. If I was them, I would have evolved more teeth. Whether they've had time to do it or not, I don't know. <laughs> if I was a fox, I would have evolved more teeth. If I was down on the shore crunching up crabs, I think I'm going to get myself a couple of extra sharp molars here because that's what I need. <laughs> you know what, Chris? It's false. Yeah, right. it's, it's false. So it's actually the bat-eared foxes that have the most teeth. So yes. they have six extra molars, apparently, which um, takes the total to... What, do, what, how many teeth the foxes have? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, total number of teeth on bottom mm-hmm. jaw. Mm. Oh, God, I'm going to have to count now. So that's <laughs> just the bottom jaw. So that's two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So that would be 18. Top jaw, maybe two, three, two, with six and two. So that's three plus two which is five plus three, which is eight. So 16 at the top, 19 at the bottom. That's 29 plus six, which gives us 30. Oh, don't ask me to do math. This is, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a mathematician. I mean, they're in the sort of 30 range, 30, 32. So uh, according to my notes, they have 42 teeth. Well, maybe it's more of those incisors then. Maybe I've miscounted and it's like three at the, uh, six at the front or whatever. Uh, I'm sure I did read the um, the pattern, but I've completely forgotten um, what it is. So bat-eating foxes have those six extra molars, which means they have 48. But typically, yeah. typically foxes have 42. I guess they're crunching up all those insects, aren't they? Mm. 42 is, I mean, like I, I work with, you know, tigers, as I said, who have 30. So it's like, yeah. to me, like having 12 extra teeth is like, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, we have 32, right? So it's like they need, they have 10 more teeth than we do. It just seems kind of mad, doesn't it? There are those molars at the back for crunching up those uh, insects, aren't they? Yeah. Because, you know, again, you can't really do, you only need one set of canines. Yeah. Um, and then you get, you know, I don't know, a few cutting teeth, carnassials, as you say. But mm-hmm. yeah, I bet they're extra molars. Yeah. So um, so that one was false. So you were right okay. with that one. Okay. Question number five. The song Foxy Lady by the Jimi Hendrix Experience was released in 1967. Is that true or false? Who knows? In 1967, I was watching Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds. You, you know oh, this. Jimi you... Hendrix. Who was he? Some hippie guy. What? You don't know Jimi Hendrix? I know. I, I, you know, I, I, you're talking to a punk. Listen, if you okay. can't hear, but I've dyed my hair blonde again recently. I'm the old punk rocker. And it, and it looks great. And the punk and punk rock is awesome, but Jimi Hendrix is psychedelic I rock. Know, and he's also amazing. Legend, but I'm afraid no. Sorry. Before my time. You know, um, I, I I never sort of went back in yeah. terms of getting into stuff. I only went f- 
forward basically right. and I still try to go forward in in my musical interest I listen to that that I listened to when I was a kid but I also tried to listen to a lot of modern stuff so I, I don't tend to go back so no I'm afraid again I have to plead total ignorance and I, I would have to guess either way and therefore I have no substance to make a guess Jimi Hendrix he, some people say he introduced the ringneck parakeets into the UK that I actually didn't know. That's a fascinating fact. I don't believe that, by the way. But, Interesting. You know. I'll have a question for you, Chris. Have you seen the 1992 film Wayne's World? Do you know no. that film? Have you heard no. about it? Yeah, I know. I heard about it. A lot of people watched it. It wasn't my sort of humour. Um, sure. So the thing it's... is, I can't do things or I don't do them. I don't kind of half do them. I'm either into it or I'm not into it at all. So I've there are many things in life that will, will shock your listeners that I've never seen or listened to. The Archers. I can't get to the button quick enough or the, the <laughs> touch button quick enough to turn it off. I've never listened to a single episode. Coronation yeah. Street, I've never seen a single episode of Coronation Street. There I'm were with many, you on that. The young ones, people I knew were massively into it, not me. Um, really? The young ones? I feel like that would be right up your alley, right? Rick Mail? Like, you don't think he's kind of like a, a little punk? I don't know because I never watched it. But... Fair, fair enough. Did you ever meet him before he passed? No, I'm afraid I didn't. No, yeah. but I hear great things. It's not that I didn't like or wouldn't have liked him as a person, but yeah. Also, I had other things to do when that was on. <laughs> I had other <laughs> stuff going on. I was massively into badger shit at that point. I did have time for the young ones. <laughs> well, okay, that's totally fair. So, I mean, Foxy Lady was featured in the the film Wayne's World, and uh, so it's featured in that. It was released in 1967, but you know, if you don't care about Jimi Hendrix, then this fact is meaningless I to you. I don't care about him. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people might like his music, and I think he was obviously instrumental in terms of, forgive the pun, you know, in, in for for his skills. He was yeah. famous as a guitarist, set it on fire, played it over his back. I've seen Captain Sensible of the Damned doing the same. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just a man's got to know his limitations, and if you'd have asked me about the works of Mark Rothko um, then or how the Bismarck was sunk I might have been in there but Jimi Hendrix well, not my, not my best I mean do those things have Fox related things in them like yeah. uh, so yeah I mean there, there lies my problem where I've, I've I've tried to try and bridge the gap between you and I between music yeah, poor analogy okay. on my part Shall I give you a, a bonus true or false question then since yeah, um, we uh, we fell so flat with Jimi Hendrix it's fine don't worry about it okay bonus question last question the Canis Minor constellation is based on the story of the Tumisian fox. Is that true or false? Wow. Mm. Canis Minor, Tunisian mm. fox. What do you think? When all of those constellations were being put together, Tunisia played, and Carthage, which was based in Tunisia, played quite a prominent role in the... Um, so this is a um, Tumesian fox. Sorry if I, if I if it came across. Um, is that the same thing? T-E-U-M-E-S-S-I-A-N, Tumesian? In the Tunisian fox, it's just like our fox, only it came from Tunisia. I don't know, but yeah, um, but the yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, obviously, as you we've already discussed, the foxes have played a significant role in folklore for yeah. thousands of years. Uh, the constellations were the named; they were made up basically, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it, during that period. Um, so what do you think? It's a fifty-fifty well. chance, fifty-fifty. Yeah, you? it's a fifty-fifty chance on this one. Yeah. Uh, I, I I like to think there's a fox up there in the heavens, as we call oh, them. I like know, that. Being wrapped by a, a series of stars. That would be quite romantic, wouldn't it? So it the would. romantic in me is going to say, yes, please. You'd be absolutely right. Yes, well done. So uh, it is. So I'll tell you about the story of the Tumesian fox real quick, because I am a classics major. So apparently, according to legend, this was a giant, uncatchable fox that was sent to terrorise the city of Thebes in Greece. Now, um, the king of Thebes apparently sent uh, a general called Amphitryon 
to dispatch the fox. And so uh, Amphitryon thought to fetch the magical dog called Lilaps. Lilaps was a magical dog that could catch everything that it hunted. So Zeus, being faced with this paradox of the uncatchable fox versus the dog that catches everything, was like, ah, I'm faced with a paradox here. So what he did is he turned those two animals into stone and he cast them up into the sky. And so the Canis Minor is the Tumesian fox and the Canis Major is Lilaps the dog. I love that. I love those sorts of stories. I like the sort of, you know, the fantastic imagination that originated them. (laughs) Zeus wasn't always good, though, when he came to animals because he did um, turn himself into a swan and impregnate Leda. Yes. Um, It was questionable, to be quite honest with you. Do you know, actually, the um, if we're going back to Zeus and swans? Yeah. I mean, Leda was the the queen of Sparta. Right. And uh, she she hatched two eggs from being no, no, she, had, she hatched four eggs no it, it was two but the two sets of twins yes right yeah two, four eggs two sets of twins one from her husband and one from zeus yes so the, and the names of her husbands but well, they were castor and calestra or something like that so um, and the okay. zeus ones was helen and one other yes um, oh you're so close you, you've got it so the two girls were helen and clytemnestra oh clytemnestra that's that's it, it. And the boys were Castor and Pollux. And Castor and Pollux are the... Another constellation. Exactly. And it's it's Gemini, the, the twins from the Gemini um, star yeah. sign. So it all weaves them together. It's all... You know, they're fascinating stories that sort of wove their way into, into Greek society. I, I think as a kid, you know, I just loved hearing fantasy stories of, of, of Greek mythology. And it sort of uh, led me to study them later on. But I, I love this about a fox. Oh, yeah. Greatest story yeah. ever I mean, I'm a, more of an Odyssey kind of girl, if I'm saying, I feel like the Odyssey has more of a mythical element to it, is, you know, sirens and um, men being turned into pigs, and the, and the, and the Iliad, which I think is amazing. And uh, the Iliad is, is very war. It's like a list it's of... warlike, yeah. It's a yeah. bit boys. Exactly. It's very like, you know, here's this warrior, the son of this guy, who's the son of this guy, and here's this ship. heroes, basically. But. Yeah, pretty much. But the Odyssey, yeah. I always thought, was, uh, was really mystical and fun. We digress. So... Yes, you're absolutely right. Canis Minor is based on the Tumesian fox. Um, and it is really nice that there's a, a fox in the stars looking down wow. upon us. Excellent. So that brings us to the end of our true or false round. I'm actually going to see how many did you get right? So you got um, three. I got Jimi of- Hendrix badly wrong. That was the key thing. Fair enough. <laughs> what you need to do is now is to go back and listen. That's your punishment is to go back and listen to, uh, oh. to at least the song Foxy Lady. You know, that's a great song. Anyway, but you've done really well on that round, particularly since um, some of those questions are quite tricksy. So well done, Chris. What we're going to do, I think, after the break is we're going to come back and do what I like to call the shout out slash PSA section, where we're going to be discussing sort of important issues facing these animals and what people should know about them. And that's the, the last time. And then we'll sign off from there. Does that sound good, Chris? It sounds great. Wonderful. We'll be right back. Our charity of the week this week focuses on safeguarding the beautiful red fox and other incredible UK species in need of our help. This week, I'm talking about Protect the Wild. Protect the Wild's mission is simple, to end the unjust hunting and killing of our native species. Their two main campaigns focus on fox hunting and bird shooting, and their team are working tirelessly to raise awareness of these issues, their level of cruelty, and exactly how it affects our biodiversity here in the UK. Hundreds of dedicated individuals at Protect the Wild are helping to defend the innocent by going undercover to expose wildlife crimes. And they even train a team of hunt saboteurs who gather video evidence of hunts and work to sabotage them 
so that they can save these incredible animals from the brutality of being slaughtered for sport. The truth is, around 80% of the population disagrees with fox hunting, yet it still happens today. With your help, we can end this barbaric and archaic practice once and for all. If you've loved what you've learned about foxes today, visit their website at www.protectthewild.org.uk. Their team needs donations to help them purchase important resources that will help them save thousands of animals from pointless and unjust cruelty. So if you can, please consider contributing to their cause and helping these incredible wildlife warriors protect and serve our beautiful native species. Thank you. We are back now with the inspirational Chris Packham, who is going to be joining me in our shout out slash PSA section, where we're going to be discussing important issues and things that uh, we want the public to know about foxes today. Now, I feel like if I turn a key inside you, Chris, I feel like you're going to be like a toy that has a lot to say about. Uh, it's more like pulling a pin out of a grenade, actually. Yeah. Fair. That was an unfortunate analogy, given that it's a weapon, but that's the way I feel about this issue. I, I long ago learned loving things was good because it could be very, very positive. And love generates positive things within us, metabolically, spiritually, if you're in that, into that sort of thing. So yeah. philosophically and emotionally, it's a very healthy thing. Hate, on the other hand, is a very destructive thing. Yeah. So I, I, I do everything I can and have done for many years not to hate things. I mean, I dislike them very strongly, but, you know, the H word is a word which I'm very careful with. You know, there are people who do despicable things. You could challenge me to say that I hated them. You'd really have to push me. But there are two things that I carry from my youth as relict hate. People wearing fur is one of them. Yeah. I, I, I cannot yeah. reconcile it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah. And secondly is fox hunting. I absolutely hate it. I hate fox hunting because symbolically it is completely anachronistic. It's, it, it represents everything which I think is you know, wrong with people and wrong with people in this time. And... You know, when I see some of the hideous cruelty that's wrought upon wild animals by people who are fox hunting, that I think the reason why the hate continues is that I simply cannot, despite years of trying, get my head into theirs. I cannot see what might, might motivate them to perpetuate this type of savagery in the UK countryside. I, I, I can't get there. As much as I challenge myself to try and understand what sort of psychopathic lunacy would compel me to do that, I cannot do it. And therefore, I, mean, I don't know. understand them. And therefore, I'm challenged by them. And my reaction to it, I'm afraid, is that I dislike them to the point that I hate them. I mean, you said yourself, you know, you're a man that doesn't believe in tradition unless it serves us in, in modern day times. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the ideas that people are, who are pro fox hunting have is like, well, we've done this for, you know, it's a tradition of my ancestors. And well, I mean, we were racist. We were homophobic. Yeah. We were sexist. We were, you know, we, 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 we had children up chimneys. We had slaves. I mean, for God's yeah. sake, yeah, that's know, it. We, we, we learn by our tragic mistakes and we do everything we can or we should. Yeah, I was about to say, we, we try to learn, hopefully, but, you know, yeah. history repeats itself as a. repudiate those things. Yeah. Um, but they want to carry on doing this. And I'm afraid that in the, in the modern age with contemporary technology, the monitors and the hunt sabs who I have enormous regard and admiration for go out and they record these crimes that are taking place in our countryside. Yeah. Now, some of them are undoubtedly criminal behavior. That is, they're breaking the law. 
Other, yes. Others, I would say, are crimes because they stand against what we should be doing at this point in our species and planet's history. And that is protecting the wild and looking after everything that is necessarily there yeah. to make it a solid, sustainable, e- ecological future. And, and, and I just think it's completely it's got to end it, yeah. it really has no part in modern society and and can i just say that it's very clear that i'm not an extremist in this view because more than 80 percent of the uk population agree with me absolutely um, right it's being perpetuated because of a, an unfortunate set of circumstances around politics and and that's not just fair. Say, it's not fair when it comes to the animals, for God's sake. Politics would, didn't want to be able to impinge so negatively on 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 the welfare of our wildlife. Would you say that it's the sort of top elite people in? No. The, you no, think so? So no. I mean, I mean, obviously there are wealthy, affluent sure. um, people involved in fox hunting, but a lot of other people involved are, are, are not. That you know, they're at the, at, the, at the other end of the scale. I would describe them un- unfortunately. Unfortunately, we don't like. You know, as sometimes, uh, you know, people who might be living in a degree of rural poverty. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Of that, it's not to do with how much money you've got. And and one of the things that's frequently dragged into fox hunting is class. You know, yes. because there is a class system, whether we yeah. like it or not in the UK, and we try not to like it. But but um, but that's nothing to do with fox hunting. Mm. You know, fox hunting is about willful cruelty to animals for human pleasure. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much money you've got or how wealthy you are or you're not or whatever class you were born into. Killing or or torturing animals for pleasure is not acceptable. That's exactly right. Is there anything that you think that the average person can do to help this, though? Writing to MPs, things like that? Well, we've been campaigning hard and in recent years we've made significant inroads and it's down to that technology. So, again, you know, League Against Cruel Sports, Hunt Saboteurs, Protect the Wild, a whole raft of different charitable organisations have been monitoring fox hunting and they've been able to bring to public attention some of these hideous um, crimes and cruelty that's been perpetuated on on, on these animals. And and no one escapes these now thanks to social media, so we get to see it all. Um, But we we have to act upon it. And, And at the moment I'm supporting a petition that's been orchestrated by Protect the wild and and this is asking the ministry of defense to no longer allow fox hunting on their land so the ministry of defense in the uk are now the largest single landowner that allows fox hunting on their land you know national trust have stopped fox hunting there i mean they still transgress and trespass on their properties because they have no regard for that uh, that decision made by their members and their board which is rather sad and an an indictment of their whole you know attitude but but nevertheless let's not digress look the MOD owns an enormous amount of land in the UK or governs that land. Um, it can be a fantastic place for wildlife. I've been to some of the sites. Um, it's it's brilliant. I mean, and it, and a lot of it is managed actually with wildlife in mind. It's fantastic. They do a great job. Yeah. So it's it's again it's it's rather at odds with what the Ministry of Defence do with much of their property in terms of encouraging biodiversity and managing it well. Um, that they allow fox hunting to take place there. And this is, again, one of those anachronistic, inexplicable conflicts. At one point, I'm minded to champion them for what they do for conservation, and they do, as I said. Uh, The other one, I want to tear them down because they're allowing this ridiculous uh, trail hunting, which is ostensibly a route to illegal fox hunting, um, on their land. It's time to end it. Just put an end to it. We have a petition. Yes, um, Please find that petition online and sign it. You know, if we're we're making significant progress when it comes to bringing fox hunting into line. Um, there are other means of people riding around on horses 
and they do that by drag hunting. So they follow a human scent and they switch from foxhounds to bloodhounds. Oh. And, you know, aside from certain amounts of disturbance and maybe damage to property, which is not my concern at Just this point, you know, that is progress. That's a step in the right direction. And we see a number of hunts have been doing that recently. That's the sort of modernization that we should be encouraging. Yeah, I love that. I said that you can drag hunt, you can follow a human scent trail, yeah. but you can follow an animal scent trail, then I'd be there clapping and I'll be in the front row. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I actually didn't realize that was a, a thing going on, drag hunting. Yeah, that's that's incredible. The runners go out, they 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 mix with the with the bloodhounds before the start of the uh, of the chase or if you like, um so that they get their scent, they run out, they give them a certain amount of time to leg it and and then the the hunters go out with the hounds and you know, it would be an ex- bizarre if any wildlife were directly directly harmed as a result of that. So it's a step in the right direction and one that's that we but look getting back to the issue the ministry of defense did not ought to be allowing uh fox hunting on on their lands illegal fox hunting perpetuated by trial uh, the trail hunting myth as we call it and whilst we're on it and it is an aside the bearskin hats is another thing yeah look frankly i, I you know i mentioned fur already uh, you know why are we still having skin on those hats this is yeah. the 21st century we can make replicas if you have to still have a fur hat for some sort of bizarre tradition then get replica fur that's exactly it and i feel like i mean i feel feel the fashion industry is moving more towards that direction now of anti-fur compared to the last 30 or 40 yeah, years no, right? a, few, a significant fashion houses if you're dealing with high-end fashion have, have recently come out and said fur's over yeah. Um, and of course, we've all applauded that. Uh, there are a number of other high end fashion houses which haven't done that. And we're on their back. Yeah. And yeah. I still walk down, you know, I could get up tomorrow morning um, and walk down Oxford Street or backwards and forwards several times. And I would see a lot of real fur trimming on garments which, which hadn't come from high end fashion houses. So fur is still a really significant issue. What? And certainly when it comes to the European you know, Union, I know we're no longer a part of that but Denmark and Poland have some of the worst fur farming conditions anywhere on earth what is the the most used animal in in fur nowadays I I know that uh, like raccoon dogs yeah mink mink, yes and then of course you know those animals which are being harvested from the wild are coyote and there were still uh, brands which you can go and buy on UK high streets which have real coyote fur around their parker hoods oh my gosh and that's that's not acceptable not now No, absolutely right. So, I mean, the back to this petition, though, where, where can people find that? Uh, Protect the World, go to the Protect the World website. I've also got a, an animation running on my social media at the moment. Yes. Uh, it's drawing attention to this, this issue. And you can find the details there if you look at my Twitter, Facebook or Instagram account. I, as, I, yeah, I yeah. saw this. It's incredible, absolutely incredible art, first of all, but more importantly, the message behind it. I'm a keen supporter of of, of these sorts of things. Mm. I I think that you know, reaching out through animation is a great way of of of, of doing that, yeah. um, because it's reaching perhaps a different audience. It is very skillfully done. The message is very simple and concise, uh, and therefore I'm very happy to lend lend my voice to it. I, I support a range of different charities. I'm a great champion of League Against Cool Sports, um, one kind who, who work in in Scotland as well uh, against these sorts of cruelties. And we've seen changes in the in the law when it comes to fox hunting in Scotland recently, which have been very ah. positive. But we're getting there, but you know, it's taking too long. Let's just yeah. get it finished basically. Get it done. And um what do you think what do you wish people knew about foxes? Just how gentle they could be when I had foxes when I was a a, a kid. 
and I would spend time with them. They are incredibly gentle and nimble. Uh, mm. They smell fantastic. And I remember <laughs> smelling their feet. Their, their feet have a very characteristic smell, not that foxy smell that we know from walking the streets where they've been scenting, but they're, their feet have a very characteristic smell. They've got the most dainty little feet. Their chins, they look, the tip of their chin, where it meets their lip, is one of the most fabulous parts of the animal kingdom. You know, <laughs> it, you know, it's just absolutely perfect. Tiny hairs, it's so soft. And I remember, and narrow, and I remember tickling that little bit of their chin whilst they were sleeping to annoy them, to get them to flinch, you know, like you do when you're a kid, you annoy yeah. animals. <laughs> yeah, we actually have them. I mean, they're, they're, they're just absolutely beautiful. And and if you ever get the chance to to see one that close up, you know, everything about them is so perfectly formed. And their eyes, you daze into their eyes and they're just beautiful sort of agate amber eyes. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know. The fox for me is just... They're Perfect. stunning. They're, they're, they're so beautiful. And I know um, I know you're a patron for uh, the Fox Project. Yes. Um, really, yeah. really amazing. So that it's um, so correct me if I'm wrong, it's a, a rehab center, but they also provide a, a humane deterrence, right, for, for yeah, boxes. Yeah, um, I mean, they've just got it right. Uh, Trevor yeah. Williams set up the Fox Project many years ago. I've had, you know, I've known him for a long, long time. You know, he recognizes that not everyone likes foxes and he doesn't try to change their minds. He tries to deal with the situation pragmatically for the benefit of people and wildlife. Exactly. And I mean, it's absolutely spot on. It's one of the most well thought through, simple, but well thought through projects that we have running in the UK. So if you have problems with foxes, visit that website. If you've got foxes with mange, it will tell you how to cure it and ah, it works. Amazing. If you've got problems with foxes and you'd like them moved on, it will suggest methods that you can do to, to, to do that too. So the key thing about that is it's just realistic. It's not romantic, yeah. it's realistic. And it's it's really, really good. And and he and the staff there are absolutely sensational. I absolutely love that. So um, I'll be linking this all, all in, in the podcast as well, but it's called The Fox Project. Definitely check that out online. They're fundraising constantly for, for the care of foxes and everything. So if you, you obviously, if you have been moved by Chris's passion for it today, definitely check out their website. I'm sure they could use all the help and support that they could get to help these foxes back out in the wild. That's amazing, Chris. I think this well. I think this is an amazing place to leave it because you've been an amazing and very detailed host today. I've learned so much about foxes, and I can empathise a little bit. As I said, one of the first things I worked with uh, in my animal career was foxes, and so I feel like this is a very. They are very special. They are just an incredible species, and I'm so glad that we we managed to talk about them today. So thank you so much for coming on. So this has been another episode of Asshole Animals with Alice. And again, I want to say a huge thank you to the to the generous and an inspirational Chris Packham for, for coming on today and teaching us about foxes. Thank you so much, Chris. This is great. A big thank you for everybody listening today. Don't forget to subscribe, comment your thoughts and share this episode as well. And now remember, everybody, don't forget to plant some bee-friendly flowers in your garden, drink plenty of water, and most importantly, don't be an arsehole. Bye! Thank you for listening to Arsehole Animals with Alice. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by heading over to Patreon to become a donor. Each donation you make helps me continue to make you laugh and learn about the arseholes of the animal kingdom. You can find me on patreon.com slash arseholeanimalswithalice. It's as simple as that. See you next time. <laughs>